Improving productivity is front and centre in the public agenda right now, but what are we doing about it? I mean, historically, we've been very good at digging stuff out of the ground and shipping it out, but is that enough for the economy to grow in a sustainable way? And whose job is it to sort out a more productive way for the economy? Is it the government? Is it business? Or is there a way to develop a plan from both sectors? This is not a uniquely Australian problem, of course, but how do we even start to fix this problem? That's this week. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. And once again, that disclaimer that the Weekend Edition of The Morning Call features people who are not employed by NAB, so their views don't necessarily reflect those of the bank. We're talking to more and more people on this podcast to get a wider discourse on issues that are impacting markets and the broader economy. And of course, one of those significant issues is productivity, which, as I'm sure you know, for Australia is falling. Now, of course, these are unusual times because we're coming out of a pandemic when productivity for those who were working increased a great deal. So, I mean, that shows, you know, if you look in too short a time period, productivity numbers can be misleading. But productivity was an issue before the pandemic and not just for Australia, for much of the developed world. And central banks and governments have been suggesting that, you know, if people want to see their wages rise without impacting inflation, then you've got to be more productive. But can you just become more productive from working harder? I mean, isn't productivity really a reflection of mechanization and automation, in which case it needs investment. And there's not much appetite for that right now, is there? And how do you automate the, you know, service industry, the restaurant industry, unless you're going to, you know, be served by robots? No thanks to that. So let's get to grips with that fall in Australian productivity and ask why are we not more productive with Melissa Wilson. She's a senior economist at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, which is an independent think tank that provides the research to influence better public policy. Now, it's been going for a while since the middle of the Second World War, in fact. Douglas Copeland was the, the founder of the economist who urged that Australia should have its own currency. Imagine if we were still stuck to the pound. So there's progress. Uh, let's let's look at what's next. So first of all, Melissa, I mean, how big a deal is this fall in productivity? Is it an intrinsic problem or is it just the part of this rebalancing after the pandemic? Yeah. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think there's there's a few factors weighing on productivity at the moment. You're, you're right that the last few years have added a layer of complexity when it comes to measuring and achieving productivity. We've had the, the natural disasters, floods in several states. We've had the pandemic. Uh, during that period, it was obviously very challenging. A lot of firms went into survival mode through lockdowns and border closures. That's not conducive to productivity growth. We had a big swing in demand over that period that swung from away from services to goods and then back again. And that obviously has impact on productivity growth because services are, are less product productive than, than the good side of things. It's a challenging macro environment with firms needing uh, more people and time and money to innovate and create value. And over the last three years, that's been hard to come by. There's tight labor markets and broad skills shortages and rising costs. But despite all these sort of uh, issues over the, the past few years, I think if we focus on the longer term trends, uh, what we do see is that in the national accounts, we know and output per worker just hasn't budged since 2019. And when we take an even longer view, we see that productivity growth is at its slowest pace in 60 years. So I think that the bottom line is that it's clear that productivity growth has been in decline and is currently very weak, both uh, by historical standards and compared to other countries in the world. Um, and the reason that's a big problem is because it's our most important driver of living standards, improvements in living standards long term. And so it is something we really need to take seriously. You know, over the past 30 years, 
80% of our growth in real incomes has come from productivity growth. So it's something we really need to address. Yeah, because, I mean, theoretically, if I produce more, a country produces more at a faster rate than the growth of money in the economy, then that brings prices down. Or it's it's an opportunity for wages to go up. Either way, we're better off from it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the RBA has been talking about this sort of nexus between wages and productivity growth and inflation. You know, the governor, Governor Lowe has been quite vocal on, on that issue of late. We're seeing unit labour costs rising quite sharply at the moment. That's the difference between wages and productivity, and that's a real key determinant of inflation. So, uh, the RBA has been been quite explicit in saying, look, if productivity growth doesn't pick up and that they're, they're sort of saying we need to get back to the, the rate we were pre-pandemic, um, if that doesn't pick up, then we're going to see higher and more persistent inflation than we, we would otherwise. And that would mean interest rates have to stay higher for longer. So the question is, can we achieve that level? Can we? Yeah. And how much of it is to do with just you know sectoral balances, the fact that we are moving from manufacturing to services? And as you said, you know, and as I said in the introduction, it's hard to improve productivity in, in, in the service sector. It really is. And there are, as you say, some structural factors working against us and the growing services sector is a really key adjustment that is is not conducive to productivity growth. So the services sector has, has really grown enormously in, in the last you know, decades. It now employs nine out of 10 people in our economy. It's responsible for 80% of our output and, and that's growing. And in, in some ways, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a sign of prosperity and a, and a wealthy economy. But when it comes to productivity, it's a drag on productivity growth because, as you say, those sectors are very labour intensive. You, know, you think of things like hairdressing and childcare and healthcare, um, and there's just much slower productivity growth in services than there is in in goods. And so, overall, we're getting this drag on productivity growth from growing services sector. And so, what we really need is to think creatively about you know how do we get smart using technology in in those areas. You know, we saw the big rise in telehealth, for example, over the pandemic. Um, We've been thinking about ways to you know, identify opportunities for more automation in aged care rostering and things like that. So there, there are opportunities. We've just got to think a bit more creatively about it. But I mean, this is a this is happening all over the world, of course. And again, for similar reasons, that we're moving more towards service based economies rather than manufacturing based economies in many economies. So how much of these numbers really are just because of that? I mean, it's okay to say, well, okay, we need to get better at how the service industries are operating. Is it really an issue if the if, if everything was to settle down and we had a, you know we, we didn't we weren't going through this transition, would we still be seeing falling productivity? I mean, I, I get your point that there's always a room for improvement, but are we getting upset about something which is just down to one factor that transition to services? I think there are other factors at play as well. The transition to services is is a big factor. There are other sort of structural factors as well around you know, climate change geopolitical tensions, aging populations. But there are on the flip side some big opportunities around things like technological change. But when we uh, when we look at other advanced economies, we are seeing that it Australia is not alone. A lot of advanced economies have experienced a sizable slowdown in productivity growth in recent times. But Unfortunately, Australia has gone backwards in relative terms as well. So when we compare to other countries, if we look over you know a long period, say you know 1970 to 2020, that sort of 50-year window, we were ranked sixth in the OECD and now we're down to 16th. Um, and we're currently 22% below the US productivity, which is sort of held out to be the global frontier. 
Um, so that it's more than just uh, all advanced economies are uh, experiencing some of these long-term trends. There are also some other factors at, at play as well um, that, that are playing into this. Perhaps because we've been resting on our laurels too much, because I noticed you, so you recently uh, published the Dynamic Capabilities Report that suggests one way of boosting productivity is through companies being more adaptable. So companies can be very good at what they've done historically. And of course, you know, we've got a whole mining industry that's been very good at digging stuff out of the ground and shipping it out. But uh, if if you throw uncertainty into the mix, then some of those companies that are less adaptable, they are going to struggle. And we've got quite a few companies like that, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. One reason why we've been so good at maintaining our high incomes and our living standards uh, while our productivity growth has, has been you know, pretty pretty medi- mediocre um, is that Australians are, are working, more Australians are working and they're working longer hours, but that's not really the path we want to go down. That's not sustainable. We can't keep increasing participation indefinitely. It's the labour force participation rate is already incredibly high and we don't want to keep working harder as well. So we've got to work smarter. And that's really where our work on dynamic capabilities has come in. So we've uh, sort of looked at, there are sort of two areas of capabilities in the literature. There's the ordinary capabilities, which are around you know, the business as usual. Do you have the basic skills needed to run that business in normal times, and that's very much focused around operational uh, capabilities and, and efficiency and being best practice at those things. But we very much focused on the dynamic capabilities, which is around uh, being more forward-looking and more strategic. Uh, can you sense opportunities and threats that are coming at the business? Can you seize on some of those opportunities and capture value? Can you undertake renewal and transformation of, of the firm? This is much more around you know, innovation and, and what firms need to survive and thrive in uncertain times. And that's what's needed to really expand the productivity frontier and move forward. Right. And are there attributes of companies which have shown that they are more dynamically capable? Yeah. So what we found, we did a survey. We did it with the uh, University of Technology in Sydney and we did what's really the first broad survey of these capabilities in Australian firms. We looked at 149 businesses. um, And what we found was that Firms with stronger capabilities were more innovative and they performed better in the in the pandemic, particularly around things like their productivity being better, their, their profits, their customer satisfaction and employee outcomes. Um, we found that most firms have room to improve. Their businesses in Australia are pretty good when it comes to sensing and seizing opportunities, but very few are really good when it comes to transforming or reinventing themselves. Um, one of the factors that is quite critical for being able to transform is having some slack or some space in the business. So that's having the people and the time and the money that's not tied up in business as usual to build these capabilities and to devote to long-term innovation and growth opportunities. And what we found is that's really critical, but it's currently lacking in a lot of businesses. You know, the businesses are just running as fast as they can. So a lot of business managers would say, well, of course we haven't got slack, you know, because we are running an efficient operation here. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's very difficult in that situation to actually say, we're going to pull away resources that are actually making money for the business to to look at the next step Absolutely. for something that may or may not happen. Absolutely, 100%. I think there is a tendency for firms to focus on the efficiency, often at the expense of innovation. Those two goals can be at, at odds. And there's a tension there and it can be difficult for firms to prioritise both at the same time. And often the efficiency side is easier in terms of you know, cost cutting, maximising your output, and it's more immediate. Whereas when you're looking at innovation, that's you know, bigger long-term opportunities. They take a while to pay off. There's an uncertainty there. You're asking firms to take a bold risk. I guess what we're saying with this is that if we don't do those things and we don't lift our eyes and be innovative and look to the future, 
that Australia's long-term productivity performance will suffer. And ultimately, that comes back to Australian living standards at the end of the day. So when you talk about innovation, are you talking about innovation through, you know, a, a new approach to management or new operational systems within the company? Are you talking about new marketing techniques that are going to reach more people? Or are, are you talking about more more products where's innovation coming from all of the above actually yeah you've hit the nail on the head that when we we surveyed these businesses we asked about uh, all those sorts of things we found that particularly the firms with strong capabilities early on in the pandemic because we we focused on the pandemic period because that's a, a deeply uncertain time where we think these capabilities will come to the fore and we found that the most uh, capable firms early on in in the pandemic were more likely to improve their managerial processes and and to come up with new and better marketing techniques and those sorts of things and they did that early on in the first few months when covid really hit and that we saw as the pandemic wore on that really set them up for success in terms of their productivity and and profits and customer satisfaction and so forth. So, um, yeah, as you say, innovation can come in in many different forms. And uh, having a diversified workforce helps as well, doesn't it? And senior management. So just as we're discovering that women are better at soccer than men, we (laughs) also know that having more women in more important roles within a business helps that business perform better. And that's been shown uh, in lots of research, but you've shown it in your research as well. We did. We did. And what we found as well was that diversity at the leadership level is associated with building stronger capabilities within the firm. So we asked about diversity on a few dimensions. You touched on on gender. We asked if you have a board, do you have someone who's female as a director? We asked about whether you had anyone with uh, international experience. And we asked about whether you have anyone with science, technology, engineering expertise as well. And we found that uh, of the most capable, the most dynamic uh, firms in our survey, about 80%, uh, touch over 80% could tick all three boxes. And then when we compared that, we found only about 20, 26% could, could tick all those boxes of the least dynamic firms. So there is a role for diversity in terms of building capabilities as well, which is quite interesting. Um, and I think that's, that's an important point when you think about the makeup of businesses, uh, boards in Australia are typically very focused on, on regulation and compliance. You have a lot of people with legal, uh, and, um, you know, HR and accounting, finance kind of backgrounds. You don't have so many uh, with technology expertise. I think only 7% uh, of, of board members have technology expertise on, the, on their boards at the moment. So there's a real, a real lacking uh, in that sort of functional diversity at the board level that could really help with, with capabilities and, and ultimately firm performance. So the Business Council released its Seize the Moment report uh, earlier on this week. I mean, their focus a lot was... Uh, we're saying some of the same things that you've been saying, but also, you know, looking at public policy. So, for example, we've got uncompetitive tax settings, they say, too much regulatory burden, a lack of focus on excellence in teaching, in, in their words. I mean, they ride on a lot of that, of course. Uh, but uh, And there has to be a cohesive policy, doesn't there? But, I mean, your point is it also has to be driven by the by the private sector. So this is an age-old question how do you get the balance right on this how do you get a public-private partnership really on the way that uh, the, the country is run in a way that's actually going to inc- increase this productivity I think that's right I think that would be the ultimate goal to get all shoulders to the wheel to really push the needle on productivity uh the Productivity Commission has come out with over 70 recommendations and it's really important to get governments to act on these. You know, they've obviously got a lot of firepower and a lot of tools at their disposal. We're encouraged that the federal government is saying they're taking the productivity problem seriously. In terms of cooperation, one thing we've been thinking about is that um, 
something that could improve cooperation at the different levels of, of government. So we could we would like to see some productivity payments from the federal government to the states and territories, which would encourage state governments to act on the Productivity Commission's recommendations. And we've seen similar payments have worked well in the past. Um, but I think you've touched on a really important point there around cooperation. And the business sector has an important role to play in, in terms of building capabilities and things like that, which we've we've been doing the research on. But the government could also complement that by, by playing an important role in uh, enabling businesses to to lift those capabilities and, and sort of coordinating that from the top down as well. Right. But in, in what way, how do we actually develop? It's almost like an industrial plan, isn't it? How do you get a, a way forward where you're involving the government and the private sector working together on improving productivity? Because uh, you know, I, I feel like this is a question that's been tackled all around the world without necessarily any concrete steps. And, you know, if we were to say, well, okay, the government's going to pinpoint particular industries, we know that's a bad idea because historically, and again, around the world, governments have shown that they're not very good at picking winners. Yeah, I think that's very true, very true. Um, I think in terms of building capabilities, there is a role that government could play in in providing programs to build those capabilities. We've seen some similar things done overseas that has worked quite well in places like New Zealand, places like Singapore. Um, but overall, what we need is is a long term approach from government. And as you say, these these programs often chop and change, and there's not good evaluation. So it is important to sort of take a, a more holistic. Uh, view on these things. But there are, you know, businesses are also taking these matters into their own hands. They didn't wait for the government when it came to uh, you know, shifting the needle on, on climate change and, and and global warming and being more, more ecologically responsible. Businesses very much led the way on that. And businesses are starting to think about productivity in a similar way as well. But I mean, that, that climate change is an interesting one. I mean, I mean just the, the, the final point. Well, I've got one more. So the penultimate question, just, I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy, isn't it, for a quick win in a country like Australia to say, well, we need to improve productivity. We could just throw more machines at mining and just do a lot more mining. But that doesn't do anything for net zero. Uh, but it would be a quick and easy win and it would Im- improve our productivity. Yeah, right. And But productivity, I mean, while I've banged on about how important productivity is, we have other goals as well. So, you know, the, the Productivity Commission has talked about you know, climate change and, and the adjustments that come with that as being a headwind to productivity. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't tackle that and do and do what needs to be done on climate change. It just means we need to be smart about it and, and be well targeted in our approach so that we can maximise the benefits both on the, on the climate opportunities and, and also get some productivity gains as well. And this is the final question, which perhaps is more of a point than a question, but actually a, a reason why we need to talk again. Uh, in your own research, Australia ranks 58th in terms of economic complexity. So that is that means that we are reliant on a handful of industries, which we know. So innovation often comes when you've got a group of industries that work together, and that's where you benefit from having a highly complex economy. Uh, that is our Achilles heel in Australia, isn't it? It is. We've really relied historically on traditional industries around agricultural, around mining, and that's that's been standing us in pretty good stead up until this point. You know, no one was talking about productivity where we were getting huge windfall gains from the mining industry. Um, but I don't think that's going to stand up going forward. And that's why the productivity discussion is an important one. And as you say, related to that uh, is this question around economic complexity and diversification. And that's also something that we need to, to consider seriously if we want to ensure our long-term uh, economic prosperity going forward. Right. Well, it's an important discussion, Melissa, and one that we do want to uh, you know, follow on the 
on the weekend edition of The Morning Call. It's been great to have you on and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so no immediate answers, although clearly, uh, you know, it's not just the government. Businesses can do their bit and it is worth a dip into that CEDA report on dynamic capability to see if your company has that dynamic capability and if not, why not? That's it for this week and I am back on Monday morning for our regular weekday edition of The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening. The Weekend Edition. 